Bibles. We are going to be in Exodus 15. And you might remember last week as we were in Exodus. Here, I'm getting going a little too quick. I haven't even let them off the stage yet. They just gave me extra time. I don't know what to do. I, you know, I'm up here like seven minutes early. I can run long, I guess. I don't know. Well, you might remember last time we were in Exodus 13, uh, and the Lord starts to lead the Israelites into the wilderness. And we usually think of this as a negative. We think of the wilderness as, as a negative time. Uh, and we think of it as, well, man, what have I gotten myself into? Have you ever gone through that where you're sitting here going, all of a sudden you're out there and you're like, man, I really got myself in a pickle this time, okay? And, and that's how we often think of it. But sometimes it may be the Lord's doing. Sometimes the Lord shoves us, makes us, manipulates us. I know manipulate's a bad word, right? No, not necessarily. He pushes us into the wilderness. And for Moses, this is the second time in the wilderness. The first time he was bored, I mean, he checked out every bush that was ever around. And he found the most interesting one that happened to be uh, on fire and didn't burn up, you know. But he, he thought he was alone out in the wilderness, yet he found God out there with him. Oftentimes, we feel like we're alone, yet God says, no, this is your mountaintop. This is your time to have a relationship with me. This is your time to get back right with me so that when we can move forward, we see a tent of meeting in a sense, a, a place of worship for, for Moses. And we can see both types of places in the wilderness. Both types of, of places. One is with the Lord and one is with the Lord. Okay, I said the same thing, right? Right? But what I mean is one is with the Lord with other people around, and one is with the Lord by yourself. You can have both type of wilderness experiences. In fact, Moses just had the one without. Now he's going to have the one with, and it's along with this, you know, the closest four million friends he's ever had, you know, as they, they go out. You know, it's interesting. I, I saw this morning uh, when Rob walked in, I, I just, I felt bad for him. I mean, the dolphins. He loves the dolphins. I just shook my head. And then I see the Dallas jersey. You know, a little better, right? A lot better. <laughs> you know, we, we like to pick teams, don't we? Well, now we're, we're at a point in the scriptures where, where there's two teams. There's the Egyptians, which I guess their mascot would be the snakes. And you have the, the Hebrews, and their mascot would be the sheep, you know, and you're sitting there going, oh, the sheep, they're like the dolphins. You know, 0 and 13, I mean, okay, well, anyway. But we need to root for those sheep. We need to root for the underdog here because the Lord is on their side, just like the scripture I read a little earlier. In fact, in, in chapter 14, verse 10, and it did not change up here, Lisa, so. Um, it, uh, chapter 14, verse 10, it says, as Pharaoh approached the Israelites, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? So they start to, they start to complain. And, and they get, you know, we can be very creative in our complaining, can't we? 
I mean, it's so easy to go to the negative. It's so easy to, I mean, that's one reason why, I mean, I know this sounds stupid, but that's one reason why I love the fences that we put up around here to help with the issues. Because I don't show up on Sunday morning going, okay, what kind of mess was left last night by the bathroom or by the kids' area or this? I can concentrate on other things, you know, because it's so easy for us to go down that negative route. Well, when we're complaining to other people, I mean, we, we love to give backhanded compliments, don't we? We like to hide our complaints in prayer requests and gossip. You know, we've talked about that before. We hide our, our complaints and our, and our thank yous. We even hide our complaints and, and our encouragements when we ought to be positive. It goes on and says... What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. <coughs> Moses is so gracious here. I, I don't know if I would have been. I was talking to a neighbor. We were having some people ride around their bikes at 3 a.m. in the morning. And, uh, and uh, you know, they're looking into cars and all that kind of stuff. And and I told my neighbor, I said, uh, I said, man, it makes you want to, because we have the RV with the big window right there. I go, it makes me want to sit out in my RV and just wait for him. And she starts laughing. And she goes, you're a pastor. I'm like, I don't care. Right is right and wrong is wrong, you know. Moses here is gracious. I don't know if I would have been so gracious. They never said any of this stuff to him that we know of. It's not written down. I'm sure it might have been. But they have kind of have a selective memory that, that we just love to have sometimes. God saves us from Egypt, and we get, we get far enough away where we think it's better, or, or we, we look back and we think Egypt was better than what it really was. We just get far enough away, and we go, oh, but, but you know, I had this, and I had that. And we start thinking about all those things. And this generation of, of Hebrews has Egypt ingrained in them, and it's going to be very difficult for them to get it out of themselves. In fact, I don't think many of them ever did. I mean, I grew up in Texas. I'm a proud Texan. Texans are proud. I don't know if you realize that or not. You know, it's a great place to grow up. My wife and I, we moved here in 1990, uh, 1994. But in many ways, I'm still a Texan. Well, why is that? Well, I haven't been there for 24 years other than to visit, yet I'm from Texas. The Texas ways are ingrained in me. I don't think they'll ever quite completely leave me. In fact, when we go back, we, we always laugh about this. We go back, you go to the Starbucks, get ready for a whole conversation before they hand you your coffee. I mean, in California, we're just like, Coffee, thank you, bye. You know, maybe we say thank you, maybe we don't. And Texas are like, you know, you pay for the credit card, and they're like, oh, well, where are you from? You know, and then they start, I mean, you, it's five minutes, and you're just like, just give me my coffee. I want my coffee. But there's a whole conversation that goes with that. And you start to remember back. That's just the way they are. Now, my kids, they're Californians, okay? I mean, they get a little bit of Texas. They like brisket. They like meat. You know, get a little bit of Texan in them, but, but they're not going to be the same, okay? It's the same way for these, these uh, Israelites, these Hebrews that were in Egypt. 
These guys had a hard time getting Egypt out of them. In fact, this generation never does. And if you read ahead, which I'm sure all of you do, you read ahead, you know that the first generation never gets to the promised land because they never get Egypt out of their system. So we see Moses kind of calm the people down because they're all panicked. They're in an uproar. The Egyptian army's coming up behind them. And, and, and you would kind of be in a panic also. I would be. You know, Paul writes about this in Corinthians. In fact, he goes on to say that we need to look at the Exodus and compare it to our lives. See how the Old Testament meets the New Testament? Paul even says that. And this is a healthy conversation for us to have, to talk about what the Lord has saved us from. What is our Egypt? What have we come out of? And then we have to start asking, well, what's my Red Sea? What situation did I get to that was impossible for me to to figure out a way through and yet the Lord just parts the water and gets us through what is my Red Sea in my life what has God saved me from I mean have you ever been there where you're not quite sure you're going to get through something you're just not sure but you are but you're not convinced you are you're in the middle of something, and you act like you've never been through something like this before. And the Lord's sitting there going, well, I just saved you last time, too. You don't remember that? But we still act like it's the first time. And you think something's going to bury you. Now, why does this happen? Because we panic. We panic. And, of course, we want to get to a place of maturity in our lives and our relationship with the Lord where we don't panic, where we don't do this each time. And every time I get there, I'm like the Israelites. I start to backtrack. You see what I'm saying? We've got to just keep going forward. But Moses' instruction, instructions here are very mature. In, in chapter 14, verse uh, 13, it says, Moses answered to people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. This is a fascinating to me in regard to, to the first off, the maturity of Moses. He's totally right on here. Everyone just calm down. <coughs> calm down are my two favorite words at home. I look at Brandon and go, calm down. Grayson, calm down. My wife, no, no, okay, I won't go there. But I'm just saying, we just need to calm down. And she's going, Alan, you need to calm down, okay? But, I mean, that's all another thing. But, you know, we, we start getting upset, and he, he's like, no, 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 just, just calm down. Now, here's what we're going to do, guys, and this is the second part. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to be still. Uh, excuse me? No, 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 no. We're going to count to ten, say a prayer, and be still. And then number three, the Lord's going to deliver you. And this also shows another point of maturity for Moses, where Moses was the guy who killed the guy and who ran away out of, out, of, out of fear. And now he's coming back, and the Lord's training Moses. He has no clue what the Lord is going to do here. Now, we do. We've read Exodus, right? The water splits, you know, Moses and all that. We, we know that. He doesn't. And we look at the timing of this, and Moses has no idea, but he knows something about God. Man, for us to get to that point in our relationship with God, that someone near us is panicking, or maybe even ourselves,
and we start to say, whoa, 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 hold on. Let's just calm down here. Let's get back on track. Let's just serve the Lord because the Lord is going to have us there. To, to, to say uh, the Lord loves you, he didn't bring you all the way out into this desert. I mean, he knows the way around. He, he invented GPS, okay? He has the original system, and he's upgraded it. <laughs> to be able to say to someone, I think God is going to take care of you. For us to have that spiritual maturity in our lives to do this for others. But first, before we get to that point, we have to start doing it for ourselves. We have to start telling ourselves to calm down, that the Lord is going to get us through this. And once we can do it for ourselves, then we can turn around and help others through the same thing. I mean, the Lord tells them just to move on. And we, we, we talked about that last week where he split the water and so forth. And, you know, we, we kind of dove right into that. Um, sorry for the two people that got that. Um, water, splitting, dove right in. Okay, I know. Bad, bad, bad. But we went through that. I mean, how high do you think the water was? I mean, was it just like four foot, six foot, 12 foot, 20 foot, 30 foot? I don't know. Was it lower on one side than the other? I mean, this is kind of all the directions my mind goes, but it's a neat story for the Lord to, to put into the scriptures. I mean, did the kids pull out their fishing poles, you know? All those hillbillies in the back, they got their fishing poles out, you know. I mean, it's just amazing. They almost get across, and here comes the Egyptian army, and the Lord is waiting for all of Israel to get across. Now, in the scriptures, there's a little leeway here. I'm not quite sure if all the, uh, all the Israelites were totally across when the Lord started shoving the water back on top of the Egyptians, or whether they were all across completely, or some of them were, and the Lord started doing that. All I know is it didn't take, overtake the Israelites, but it overtook the Egyptians, and it destroyed them all. Like the Lord said, you won't see these guys again. What's interesting to me is the Lord rescues us. Sometimes he lets us help. I mean, Moses was told uh, to lower his staff. You know, Moses up there holding his staff and holding it, or one hand or whatever, you know. He's holding it and, and, and the water going, you know, he even had help until later on and stuff. And, you know, I wonder if he, he did this. I wonder what will happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 you know. What did he do, you know? But then God said, lower it. Man, I'm sure, boom, he lowered that sucker, and there goes all the water and stuff. I wonder if he had a little fun on this or if he was a little bit afraid. <coughs> Imagine later on Moses retelling the story. I'm sure he added a couple of details like I do, you know? And, you know, and I moved my staff like this, and all the water went this way, and then it went that Okay, but anyway, we like to add in those things. Verse 30, it says, The day the Lord saved Israel from the hand of of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Wow, finally giving Moses some due here. I mean, this is good. And this is a healthy fear of the Lord. And we've talked about that healthy fear that we, you know, that the child should have for a parent. Not unhealthy fear, but the healthy fear and, and so forth. In fact, uh, uh, because they don't know the Lord that well, every time they fear God, they actually go to Moses and yell at Moses. It's kind of fun. Which means that they really don't have that great relationship with the Lord yet. Because, I don't know if you know this, you can yell at God. 
Did you know that? You can get mad at God and yell at him. He can handle it. Now, I'm not saying that's the most mature way to talk with the Lord, okay? I mean, if, if that's your only relationship where all, it's all, you know, you're just yelling at God all the time, then do you not need to kind of rethink some of that relationship and mature a little bit? But you can get away with it. Why? Because God knows that you're finally being real. You stop just trying to memorize certain prayers or things you learn in early in church. God allows us to go through difficult times. He literally puts us in those situations. But because we're humans, we always look to, to blame someone, don't we? We always want to find somebody and yell at and put the blame. Oh, this is your fault, Joshua. And Joshua's like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. But we like to blame. We like to, to tell somebody. But human nature is what it is. And every time the Israelites are unhappy, they start to yell at Moses when they should be going to God and yelling at him. But right here, they do something different. They stop the yelling. They stop the complaining because God just rescued him. I mean, rescued them. And they began to worship this is like a young Christian. Young Christians are fun. I mean, you get a group of, of young Christians together, and, and, you know, they just want to worship the Lord. They don't care what style of church. They don't care whatever. And, and, but the, it seems like the longer we're around church, the more critical we become, and we get away from the first love. The first love of where we just want to worship. And here, you know, they like both God and Moses, uh, the, the, they like both God and Moses on the same day. And this is a big deal for Israel because it doesn't happen uh, on their own. And they began to worship the oldest recorded song in human history. And you won't find one that's older. And they're singing about Jesus. You go through the, the song that they sing, and they're singing about Jesus. This is so cool. Jesus is already on their mind. And he's already on the scene, and they don't even realize it. They're already seeing his handiwork here on this earth, and they're singing to him, and they don't even realize it. They don't even know it. And I almost kind of skipped over this a little bit. You know, okay, they're worshiping. Okay, we get it, get it. Worship, worship, worship. I mean, that's good. But let's just keep going with the story. Yeah, I mean, there's more to Exodus, you know. Then I started reason, reading it. And the story, the song is amazing. The song is about our salvation. The song is about God ruling over our enemy. <clears throat> the song is, is really worth memorizing. And so they start to worship, and then later on they put it to music, and I dare say uh, they put it to dancing later on. You know, I mean, uh, dancing and music and the Lord, I don't know. Two to, to four million strong are worshiping the Lord, and they're having a party. He says, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is literal for them. This is literal. This is not just a, a concept they're trying to grab a hold of. They're like, he just saved me from that horse and that rider, because that guy was getting close to me. They're excited. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God. I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. 
The Lord is a warrior. Because they're thinking, I'm no warrior yet. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army is hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like, like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In greatness of your majesty, you threw down these, those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood firm like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue. I will overtake them. I will divide their spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. I mean, you think of a song like this being in Revelations, the end times, where we're seeing about what God does to, to Satan, the enemy, in the lake of fire, throwing him into the lake of fire, and, and we're on one side screaming like it's the greatest touchdown ever because it is the salvation from the Lord. With Jesus leading us. It'll be the, 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 you know, in the end, we are all eternal beings. And, and, you know, it's a hard concept for us to understand because, you know, our bodies physically one day we will die, but our spirit goes on. And unless the Lord comes back here in the next few years, many of us, I say few, many, many years, many years, okay? Long lives for all of us, Right? But unless the Lord comes back, our bodies are going to be gone, but our spirits will be with him. And Satan is trying to take us with him, and the Lord wants to save us from that. Verse 11, it goes on, it says, Who among the, who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you? And this is good. This is really good. Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. That's just pure recognition of who God is. Verse 12, you stretched out your right hand on the earth and swallowed them. In your unfailing love, you, you, uh, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In other words, you've purchased. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations were, uh, will hear and tremble. Anguish, anguish will grip the people of Philistia. And that, this is really amazing here. You might remember the Lord took them on the, uh, the southern route. Uh, in other words, he's taken them on a different route. It, there's a quicker route, but the Philistines are there, and the Israelites are not ready to fight the Philistines. And the Lord says, I want to prepare you because you're going to be in this fight with me. I'm going to lead you in this fight, but you have a part. See, we just can't sit back and say, okay, Lord, do it all. Lord says, well, I'll do it all, but that's not what I want to do. I want to involve you in my ministry. I want to involve you in this process. So the Lord takes them down a different route, a kind of a, <clears throat> a southern route to get back. It's the, the longer route because the Philistines are there. But here they're sitting there saying, man, the people of Philistia, the Phil I mean, they're going to they're gonna hear about this and they're going to tremble in fear. And that's exactly what happens. Over the next 40 years, the story gets bigger 
and bigger and bigger. And by the time they go into the promised land, they, I mean, they, they have to fight and so forth. But the Philistines are afraid of them because they know about their Lord and what happened. It goes on, it says, the chiefs of Edom, verse 15, the chiefs of Edom were terrified and the leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall upon them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as, as a stone until your people pass by, O Lord, until the people you brought uh, pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountains of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made your dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, your hands established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters <coughs> of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam, and here she's 90 years old, Moses' big sister, okay, or older sister, whatever you want to say, Miriam, the prophetess, Aaron's, or, uh, Aaron's uh, sister, took a, a, tramble, a, a tambourine in her hand, and with all the women followed her with tambourines and dancing. I mean, this is totally out of control. We need to shut down the service. You know what I mean? Emotion and worship is good. Now, the New Testament, I was talking with another pastor this, about this, uh, this last week, uh, and we were talking about how emotion is good in worship, but we can't let that override the Lord. In other words, the Lord wants, you know, the Lord wants structure in worship also. But, you know, somebody running around the room and all that kind of disturbing worship, that's not what we're wanting. But we do want emotion and worship. I mean, sometimes dancing is called for. And here, Miriam, the 90-year-old woman, I'm not going to tell some 90-year-old woman, no, you can't dance. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. We were over in Angola, Africa, and, and, and doing a mission trip. And, and I tell you, the oldest woman there, I mean, they were all dancing. They were all, I mean, they start working, they start singing and dancing. And I'm just like, okay, I just don't have that beat in me. I just don't, I, you know. My, Brandon doesn't have that. Now, our adopted son, Grayson, he has musical talent. He has it in him. But the rest of the family, forget it. Mm -mm. But here, Miriam totally out of control in a sense. I don't really mean she's out of control, but she says, sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider is hurled into the sea. And this is the lesson of the Red Sea. The Lord knows that there is no impossible outcome for us. There's nothing that we can look at and say this is impossible if Lord if the Lord is with us. There's nothing too big. There's nothing that we cannot handle if the Lord is right there. If the Lord is in it, we can handle it. There's nothing in your life that the Lord has not seen before. But, 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 Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. But, 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 Pastor, you don't know what I did. No, 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 no. There's nothing that you are going through that the Lord has not seen before. Now, there may be consequences to those actions that the Lord will have to help you get through. Or the Lord may take those consequences away. But it's to the glory of the Lord. You see, that's the whole point. As my four-year-old likes to say, that's the whole thing. He says it all the time. But is it, you know, worshiping the Lord to the glory of the Lord, that's the whole thing. 
If the Lord wants to heal somebody from a disease, it's about the glory of the Lord. It's not about us feeling better because we were healed. If the Lord wants to take us through that disease, it's for the glory of the Lord. Because people can say, wow, look at their attitude, look at their actions, because they're going through this while worshiping the Lord. It's to the glory of the Lord. Now, as we look back at the book of Exodus, and we do this. I mean, we, we look at scriptures and we say, well, all scriptures is, is profitable for us to apply to our lives. However, the New Testament explicitly points to the book of Exodus to say that every single thing in there is a type or a symbol for us to understand. So it can be really fun. Because we all, as we read it, we begin to see things that, that apply to us and, uh, and apply directly to us as individuals or a church or a community, uh, you know, a church-wide community and so forth. You know, we can take this pretty far. Not every single thing relates, but on the other hand, there's a lot of things that do. The Lord wants us to use the Scripture in this way. What would Egypt be for me? What would the wilderness be for me? What would the Red Sea be for me? What would the impossible situation be? Now, I'm kind of repeating what I said a little earlier, but I want us to understand. Because we enter into the next situation after comparing this to our lives, okay? It says here in verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled into the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it's bitter. This is why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Now, the NIV says a piece of wood, okay? But uh, the Hebrew here, you go back and study it, it means tree. So you have the pastor's permission to take a pen and mark through the word tree. I mean, mark through the piece of wood and put the word tree there if you want. But it does, it does translate to both, but the Hebrew is kind of leaning toward that. But he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. In other words, pleasing. Then the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he, he tasted them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, <laughs> knows that, his eyes, not your eyes, do what's right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all, the dec- all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is a very powerful thing. God names himself many times in the book of Exodus. He's teaching the people, the community, the church, who, about who he is. So he will name himself over and over. Here he uses the name uh, uh, Yahweh Rapha. In other words, Yahweh or Jehovah Rapha, which means Yahweh heals. In other words, Christ heals, the Lord heals. Verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So before they get to Elam, they have to go through the experience at Marah. And this is not a fun experience. So let's look at that experience, and let's apply it to our lives a little bit here. Now, I want to be careful. Because some of you could start, you know, directly applying this to different parts or, uh, of this experience to your lives. And I, and I want you to continue, but 
Uh, you know, as we talk one aspect of application, the Lord may have taken you to a different aspect of this application, and that's okay, because follow the Lord here. Don't follow the pastor, okay? Because the Holy Spirit can speak to each of us a little differently in different ways through the same story. So here we go. Now remember, we're talking about a place of Amara. This is a bitter place. They come through the Red Sea. Great time looking at the fish. I mean, snorkeling without having to get your head in the water, you know. Uh, I mean, what a miracle this is. This is a powerful moment and experience for them to pass through, to, to walk through. So they're, they're pretty pleased right now because the Lord has just, just saved them. I mean, can you imagine? Four million people and their livestock traveling through the desert. How much water do you think each one would need? Now, if, <clears throat> if everyone just had a half gallon of water, That'd be like one million gallons. Then you add in how much water you need for the livestock. And they don't stop drinking. You know, you can tell your son, daughter, or husband, or grandparent, hey, hey, save some of that water. A cattle, you know, cattle, sheep, do you, you know, you got to rip them away from the water. They're just going to keep drinking if they want it, you know. Then all the other things that you need water for. And you begin to see the millions and millions of gallons of water just to survive for one day in the desert. You go travel out in the desert with a gallon of water for a day. And then the next day comes. You're like, what? Let me find a store. They didn't have stores. And you began to see this. Even though God did incredible things for them, three days ago, they begin to get worried and they forget the, what the Lord has already done for them. And it's not long after parting of the Red Sea that this is happening. This is the thing about God doing miracles in our lives. We, t- we tend to forget the good old days. We tend to forget that God just saved us from that bad part because that's just kind of who we are. You know, that was yesterday's miracle, but I'm looking for today's miracle. I know you did that yesterday, Lord, but I'm, I'm focused on today. Can you, can you catch up with me? <laughs> it's not mature. But often it's reality for us when it's already done so much, but we're three days thirsty here. Three days of watching grandmother, you know, uh, trying to keep up. Three days of watching your baby cry. Three days of, of watching people not sleep. They just, they just, you know, they just want water and they don't have any. Then off in the distance, the cloud settles over a body of water. Oh, an oasis. Imagine the shouts of joy that we're going through. The, the, you know, the telephone game, you know, going through four million people. But this one, they just use one word, water. And that word just going, you know, and people are, could you imagine the back is kind of pressing forward? Hey, guys, hurry up, hurry up. I want to get to that water. I want to get to that water. I want to get to that good place. Get the skins up here. Get the buckets. Get the coolers. Anything that will hold water. They believe that God has brought them to a good place. I mean, the cloud stops. God is leading you. The cloud stop. What would you think? This is a good place. I mean, from a distance, you can't tell good water from bad water. Man, I'm thirsty. I need water. Just joke. But I'm just saying, you know, we're all kind of that way. This is what's happening. The last amount of your energy that you can focus on at that point to get there. And man, the first one goes and jumps in, takes a big gulp, and comes up just, 
<coughs> yuck and spitting it out and everything. What, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And they're like, no, no, no. This water is bitter. We can't drink this water. Imagine how quickly that news travels back through four million people. With depression and anger, now we're not only thirsty, but we have to look at this water that we can't even drink. Now think about Moses. What does he look like? I mean, I know he looks like Charlton Heston. I mean, you know, you've seen all the movies, okay? But what does he have in his hand? Staff. Every time he does something with his staff, we need to pay attention. We need to, to watch it because it's going to be neat. It's like the hand of the Lord. The, you know, the, the Lord is, is telling Moses to do something with the staff. And at one point, uh, he will have the, the law in his hands. And, and many different times, Moses will put something in his hands and the Lord does something with it. Moses is a type of Christ. Now, I don't mean he is Christ. He is not Christ. What I mean is he represents a, a future Christ. He represents the type of Christ. So when Moses does something with his hands, that is you and God in partnership doing something. You see how we just went from Moses to us? Moses through Christ to us? When Moses does something with his hands... Christ did many things with his hands, and the ultimate thing was he put them out. And then he says, I want to use you. You are my hands. You are my eyes. You are my feet. You are my love. You are my grace. You are my mercy. Moses is a type of Christ. So I'm Moses at this point. What does God want me to do? Well, just throw a tree in the water. What? A tree? Are you sure? And this is what I love about Moses. I would be fighting with the Lord. I mean, come on, i got to dig the tree out of the ground. What do you mean a tree? Moses just does it. We see the maturity of Moses here, dragging this tree toward the water, people yelling, maybe laughing, people arguing, people fussing about this. What are you doing? That's not going to help the water, Moses. Now, some people might help. I mean, there's ones that are always willing to help, may not understand, but they're willing. And then there's others just standing there, just going, I'm going to see what happens. I don't, know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Do you know what's going on? But I'm going to watch. This is good. Hey, get out your iPhone, film this. You know. Then the third group. You know, the third group is the complainers. Now, this is going to work, really, yeah. They're just standing around waiting for it to fail, to be able to say, <laughs> told you. I mean, we see different types here, but, but why would God have Moses take a tree and throw it into bitter water? Well, what is the New Testament name for, for the cross? A tree. Peter says he, gave, he, bore, he himself bore our sins of the body on a tree. On a tree. So that we might die, uh, so that we might die for sin and live for righteousness by the wounds you have been healed. Let's assume here that there's something that we can learn about bitterness and about the cross. And this really, I mean, this week, I don't know if you watch news. I watch news, okay? You guys know that, but... 
the Dallas police officer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Most are, do I need to tell the story? Does anybody not know what I'm talking about? Tell the story. Okay. So this police officer was coming home one day, and uh, apparently she was very distracted. One, there's many reasons why, but I won't go into those. But she was very distracted, parked on the wrong floor of her apartment building. They have a high in Dallas high-rise apartment buildings. And she parked on the wrong floor and went to what she thought was her apartment. Well, the door was ajar, so a cop, what, is that, what does a cop do? Cop reaches for their weapon, right? Pulls it out, enters the apartment. He's not paying attention to, to what the apartment looks like, but sees a black man, and a black man stand up and go, what are you doing, and coming towards her. What does she do? She shoots the black man. The problem was she lived on floor three, and she parked on floor five or something to that effect. So she killed an innocent man. Well, this innocent man happened to be, I think, a worship leader or a youth leader or both at a, at a church there in Dallas, okay? So through all this, you would think that, the, I mean, you'd be pretty bitter if that was your family member, wouldn't you? Well, this last week at the, at the trial, she got sentenced for 10 years in prison. And then the guy's younger brother, 18-year-old man, it was at the sentencing hearing and starts talking about his brother. At the very end, he goes to the judge, can I give her a hug? Can I give her a hug? He could have remained bitter, but he says, as a Christian, and my brother's a Christian, he would want forgiveness for you. He would want you to come to know the Lord. He could have stayed bitter. I mean, this makes me tear up just thinking about it and going through that, you know? I mean, the cross takes care of our bitterness. The cross takes care of so much, yet if we harbor the humanness within us, then when something tragic happens, what happens? We go toward bitterness instead of forgiveness. They had to go through bitterness to understand the forgiveness of the Lord. Points all to Christ. I think this is very interesting. There's some of us that are sitting at Mora. You know who you are. You're sitting in bitterness. And I don't know how long you've been there. And you have a choice. I can either stay at bitterness or I can move forward in life. I can either stay in bitterness and not continue in relationships and all those things or I can allow the Lord to take that bitterness, put Jesus into the water, change it to sweetness and be able to forgive and move forward. Forgiveness is powerful. Not only for the one giving the forgiveness, but the one receiving it. It can change lives. You're acting like Jesus when you do that. But you have to take the cross and throw it in the water. You have to take the cross, put it in the situation. But if you don't want to go somewhere else, then you can sit in that bitterness. What does the cross mean to you? Grace, sacrifice, mercy, forgiveness, 
Jesus paying the price, applying Jesus to all the crud in our lives. But dumping Jesus into the middle of our bitterness, God wants to turn our bitter waters into sweetness. I mean, he could have just said, drink a little bit of water, drink this bit of water, it's all you're going to get. This is going to sustain you long enough to get to the next place, the big oasis. You don't know there's an oasis up, uh, you know, near here that we're going toward, but, but you just need to drink this bit of water. It's just the water you're going to get for right now. Could have done that, but he didn't. What would we do in this situation? Would we leave, say, I'm out of here, forget this, forget about it? Leave our anger unresolved? And in this case, the Lord says, everybody just sit down, everybody just relax, everybody just take a deep breath. Nobody leave. I'm going to take this to the cross, and I'm going to sweeten this whole situation by mercy and grace and forgiveness. Forgiveness is a very interesting thing. The more we sit in a bitter place in our lives, the less we forgive. Have you noticed that? The more you're, you're, you become bitter in life, the less tolerance you have for other people. In other words, the less grace you have. And certainly the less forgiveness. I mean, somebody crosses you. I'm going to give it right back to them right now. And a lot of times it has to do with what's on the inside. That's where the Lord has to soften us. Now the Lord says to them, if you obey me, Egypt will just be a faded memory, a distant memory, and I will heal you because I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the healer. Let me heal you. So if you're in a situation that you need prayer, Maybe the Lord needs to heal you from bitterness. Raise your hand. I'll pray for you. Others will pray for you. Anyone here willing to say, man, I've been going through a little bit of bitterness? It doesn't have to be a huge ordeal, okay? It doesn't have to be a life-destroying thing. Just, I mean, just a little bit. Yeah. Good. As the worship team comes on up, let me pray for you guys. Lord, uh, so many times we don't want to we don't want to deal with bitterness. We don't want to look at those parts in our life. We just have to deal with the ramification of us of being unhappy instead of just dealing with the root issue. And that is not allowing you to be thrown into the middle of the situation. Not taking the tree, not taking the cross, not taking Jesus and putting it into the to the to the water into the situation. I pray for, Lord for those that are out here. Those that maybe are dealing with a bitterness issue, those that raised their hand and maybe a few that didn't, that you be in the middle of that situation, that you be Jehovah Rapha, you be the healer, you be the one that comes in and says, I can make this sweet, I can make this beautiful, because you are our healer, Lord, through your grace, through your mercy. And through your forgiveness, we can give out grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. 
May he bless you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.